God is good all the time. Someone told me today, they said, man, it's really, really going to be hot this week. I said, hey, if you don't like the weather, you should have moved to San Diego. I hear the weather is always great there. This time of year, you never know what you're going to get here in beautiful southwestern Illinois. Hey, I'm really glad that you're here today. Couple of things, stop by the tables. We've got an incredible ministry. If you dropped off your college student uh, in the last couple of weeks and you'd like some people from the church to write them and to keep up with them, uh, or if you'd like to be somebody that writes college students, we just want them to know that they're cared about and we're thinking of them. Also some great women's ministry at the table. Please stop by. Wanna thank everybody who continues to invite folks to church. You can get these invitation cards at the Sink Center. Look at the back. This one invites people to the worship services we have here, but there's also a version that invites people to Wednesday night or to our online service. So if you're writing a bill, you can pop one of those online invites no matter where you're sending it, even if it's San Diego where they have better weather, even if you're sending it there and you can just drop one of those in and people can worship with us literally anywhere in the world these days. I think it's really, really cool. Melissa keeps up with several dog rescue organizations. Every morning at six, we have coffee. It started almost, I'd say we're getting close to a decade ago. Melissa walked up to me one day and she said, I don't think we spend 15 minutes a day together. And being a warm, empathetic, sensitive husband, I said, there's no way that's true. (laughs) She said, you start paying attention. She was right. I mean, we were around each other, but as far as, talking to each other. I don't think we spent 15 minutes a day. So we decided that we would have coffee every morning from 6 to 6.45. Every morning except Sundays, we were going to get coffee and we were going to spend it together in conversation. And it has been wonderful. Even when I'm in other parts of the world or I'm traveling, at 6 o'clock in the morning, Central Standard Time, I will text her a cup of coffee. I'll just send a picture and just send a text. Just let her know that I'm thinking of her. One of her favorite topics of conversation are rescue dogs. Some of the stories that she tells me about the abuse and cruelty suffered by some of these animals is utterly heartbreaking. And I just sit and I think, what is wrong with people? What is wrong with people? A couple of weeks back, she told me about a perfectly healthy dog that had been shot through the head in execution style. I I, I just don't have a gear. Miraculously, the dog made it. It was a low caliber gun. It sort of bounced off a little bit. The the dog lived through this. And then double miracle, a rescue organization found the dog. They determined the dog had never had a home. Never had a home. It had a really bad case of mange and several other maladies in addition to a cranial gunshot wound. The rescue further stated that the dog was in their care. Well, a couple weeks later, Melissa told me, she gave me an update on the dog. Well, first of all, it's amazing how quickly dogs recover. I mean, it is amazing. You see a picture and a month later, it's amazing how quickly they recover. And they reported the dog was generally doing pretty well. 
But the dog could not sleep. In fact, the dog would not even lay down because he lived in fear that something would attack him if he was off his guard even for a moment. And he would only sleep in 10 minute increments while standing. That dog's life experience had taught him that life is far too dangerous to even take a nap. Life is far too dangerous to even lie down for a moment. However, the rescue place reported that in a few days, the dog began to realize that he was safe. And with that epiphany, one day the dog laid down and went to sleep. Maybe safety simply means you can find enough peace to lay down and sleep. I've got a very simple theme this morning for this psalm. Safety is found in a life that is centered in Christ. I'm going to say it one more time. Safety is found in a life that is centered in Christ. All right, welcome to Soul Salsa 2023. Only this one and one more before we're done with the summer. I'll pick up next summer. In Psalm 10, we learn God can handle our hurt, our pain, and our disappointment. In Psalm 11, we discovered that because God is our protector, we don't have to be afraid. Psalm 12 encouraged us not to give up because God will punish the wicked and the righteous will see his face. Psalm 13 reminds us that the most real thing in the cosmos are the promises of God. Psalm 14 taught us that salvation comes to us when God's people finally decide we're going to be God's people. Psalm 15 taught us that choosing an abundant life is on us. It's on us, not anybody else. We have to take responsibility for our own spiritual lives. And this week we are going to explore Psalm 16. Now, we've had five working definitions, and if you're new to us, if you're our first-time guest today, this is going to give you a good indication of the vibe of Christ's church. Here we go, five definitions. Soul, essence of every human being. Soul. Salsa, an upbeat, exciting, dynamic, and attractive life. We want to live that kind of life. Church, an exciting place where lives are transformed. Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ, filled with spirit, passion, creativity, and life. And number five, ministry, the heart-pounding, dynamic work we do as the physical presence of Jesus Christ. When I prepare to go to sleep for the night, there's kind of a centering that takes place. I don't just jump in bed. There's kind of a process First of all, I got to get myself ready for bed, which means not having on the same clothes that I had on during the day. Then I have to get the bed ready. It's got to look right. You know, it's just got to look right. Pillows especially are an issue. They're, they're just an issue. I don't want my pillows to be flat and yucky. I also don't want them to be like hotel pillows that are this thick and you end up sleeping like this. There's a way my pillows have to be and it does take a little while to get them there. And then I gotta have a bottle of water in case I would wake up in the night and I'm thirsty because that happened once and it was unpleasant. So now I think that should happen every single night. (laughs) Then I have to get the covers right, 
when you get in, you can be a little cold or a little hot, but I got to get the covers right, and that takes a while too. It can take a bit for me. I kind of have to get centered into sleep. Webster defines center as an axis, a a pivot, a, a point around which an object moves. Safety has a center, and that center is found in a relationship with Christ. David is going to begin this psalm with five centering petitions, five things to get us centered. Do you want to have a feeling that your soul is secure? Do you want to move past the anxiety that absolutely riddles every aspect of your life? Do you want to move out of fear and do you want to move into faith? This is the place to start, centering. If you're taking notes now, it's when you do it. Five centering petitions from David. Number one, we must be centered in safety. Verse one, keep me safe, O God. There's some work to be done if we're to understand what safety means in a theological context. And I hate to dump this out so early in the sermon, but you're never going to find theological safety until you overcome your fear of death. It's not going to happen. As long as death is something you fear, you will never find safety for your soul. When I was a kid, we said a prayer before bed each night. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray to God my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray to God my soul to take. I hated that prayer. Despised it. In fact, I would not say the word die. I said if I should, <coughs> before I wake, I would not say the word die. I mean, what kind of prayer is that for a nine-year-old? Who wants to think about dying before they go to sleep? And what kind of idiot would suggest the possibility of dying in your sleep to God if he had not thought of it already? It was all wrong for me. Now that I'm a big boy, I get the prayer. I get the prayer. We're all going to die as something. And until we make peace with death, we will find no peace in life. And that's what that prayer finally taught me. You see, unless Jesus returns soon, every one of us are going to have final prayers prayed for our physical healing that will go unanswered. The best example of this is, is Jesus approaching the cross. Jesus trusted himself to God with that prayer in the garden where he said, if it be thy will let this cup pass from me. Nobody wants to die, but thy will be done. When Jesus prayed this prayer, he now could move toward the cross with great confidence because he knew that if God did not deliver him from the crucifixion, that that was in God's plan. Prayers for safety are prayers in which we petition that nothing would happen to us or in us apart from the will of God. Our late pastor of visitation, Ralph Philippi. How many of you knew Ralph? What a treasure of a man. When I first came, he was our assistant pastor of visitation, and he would do the hospital calls. And sometimes Ralph would come back from a call, and he would always give me a report. And the reports fell into two categories. They're sick, but they're going to get well, or they're sick unto death. Those were the two categories. And I remember the first time he told me that somebody was sick and to death. I said, Ralph, what's that mean? I I don't know that one. He means, he said, they're going to die. 
They're not going to get better. They're going to die. And I said, so how's that helpful to know? And he said, if people are going to get better, we prepare them for life. But if we know someone's sick into death, it's time to prepare them for death. It's time to shift my ministry in getting their soul ready for eternity. We're all going to have a time, unless Jesus comes back soon, when we are the ones who will be sick unto death. I believe that at that point, we begin to realize that our orientation, if we're going to have a long-term outlook, must shift from earth toward heaven. And our prayers need to move beyond the confines of, of time and space. The most effective prayer for safety is a prayer of salvation. If you know that you know that you know that Jesus lives in your heart, and if you know that you're gonna spend eternity with him, that is the ultimate prayer for safety. It's the ultimate prayer for safety. Number two, we need to be centered in principle. Verse two, my goodness is nothing apart from you. I have a little saying I use a lot that I think is funny because it's true. That of all the things you want to rely on in the world, you want to stay away from altruism. Because there's just not a, enough altruistic people out there to rely on. Altruism is where we do something just because it's the right thing to do. Altruism is where we do something when there's nothing at all in it for us in any way, shape, or form. Altruism is when we give when it might even cost us something significant. You ever noticed how hard it is to be altruistic yourself? I mean, doing the right things for the right reasons is a lot harder than just doing the right thing. Too many people claim the name of Christ today, but they choose not to live by the clear and consistent teachings of the Bible. They want to identify as Christians without practicing Christianity. And the Bible labels this hypocrisy. It's the distance between who we are and who we appear to be. Somebody may seem very altruistic, but if in their heart there's something in it for them, those motives erode at that idea of altruism and there becomes space that becomes hypocrisy. Any real form of goodness that can come from us springs from a centered connection we have with God through Jesus Christ and by being grounded in his word. I love the thought there's nothing good in us apart from God. There's nothing good in us apart from Christ. So let's tap into what is good. Number three, centered in relationship. Verse three, the godly are my heroes. We talked about heroes last week. We talked about how the ungodly have all the wrong heroes and how the godly need a different set of heroes. I have a lot of admiration for people who can do certain things. People who are really, 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 really smart and put that to, to good use. I've got a lot of admiration. I also have admiration for people that do things that really don't matter. Like hit a baseball coming 100 miles an hour that's moving. I have a lot of admiration for people that can actually do that. I actually wish the Cardinals did that more often right now. But... <laughs> I have a certain amount of admiration, but I got to tell you, none of those people are my heroes. They're not my heroes. 
I've got a different set of heroes entirely. This week, a man by the name of David Munson died. I would guess almost none of you have ever heard of him. He was not a pastor, a great speaker, a renowned author, or a personality. He was simply a loyal, unassuming, highly intelligent man who had a gift of administration that he was willing to altruistically use for the service of God and his church. Anyone who's ever been touched by No Greater Love Ministries has been impacted by Dave Munson, a hero of the faith, died this week. And you've probably never heard of him. Heroism must mean more than fame. And it must mean more than intelligence or talent or athleticism. Heroism is about sacrifice for a greater cause, the pouring of oneself into another, risking one's life for another. In fact, when we talked about the volunteer firemen, we're giving you an opportunity to be a hero. Who are those in your life who would have left you much poorer had you not met them? Who are the real heroes in your life? I think back to Sunday school teachers with flannel graphs in a Baptist church. I think about Bible school and the B-I-B-L-E and Father Abraham. I think about people who loved me and poured into me. Those are my heroes. People have heard of almost none of those people. But they're the heroes in my life. Who are your heroes? Have you told them thank you? You say, well, they're not around. Have you told their kids how much their mom or dad meant to you? Because it'll mean something to those kids. Who are your heroes? And now, may I push just a little? Who are you being a hero to? Right now, we've got 80 gazillion kids in that wing. I don't know about you. I'm glad I'm not out there. (laughs) But let me tell you who is. A group of heroes who are investing in your little boys and in your little girls and pouring Jesus into them. They're heroes. They are heroes. Be a hero. Mentor someone. Volunteer somewhere. Be a hero to someone else. I thank God for those who are heroes to me. We play it forward by being heroes to others. Number four, centered in God. Verse four, those who place their trust in things other than the Lord will be sorry. Can I just hear an amen? Amen. Those who place their trust in things other than the Lord will be sorry. If we place our trust in anything or any one or any institution other than the Lord, including ourselves, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment. King David was deeply flawed, deeply flawed, but his trust was always in the Lord. Many of you have placed your trust in things other than God, and you've been left used 
abused, confused, and abandoned. My friend Mark Jordan wrote a song 35 years ago that had a lyric in it I have never forgotten. It said, don't give your heart away to just anyone. Young people, don't give your heart away to just anyone. Give your heart to the only one who is trustworthy, and that's Jesus Christ. Number five, we must be centered in eternity. Verse five, you are my inheritance. What is the real perk of being a Christian? Knowing God. That is the real perk. It's not what God can do for us. It is knowing God and experiencing the fullness of who God is. Over the years, I've met many people who have achieved significant things. I've met many people who have achieved fame or riches. And many of them thought that these things would fulfill them. A lot of them made a lot of money. But after climbing to the top of that heap, they have shared with me they were still empty. You see, that's the problem with materialism. It's the whole problem with materialism. It can't deliver on its promises. We watch commercials every day. They make promises to us. You know, just use this toothpaste. Your teeth will be 5% wider and people will flock around you. That's doubtful. Materialism can make you rich, but it won't make you happy. When Zach and I, my son, were in Luxor earlier this year, we visited a whole bunch of tombs. That's what you do in Egypt. You visit tombs. The Egyptians thought you could take it with you. (laughs) They did. They thought you could take it with you. That's why no one raids tombs in Israel. They didn't think you could take it with you. They just buried bones. In, In Egypt, they mummified everything. The tombs were filled with all kinds of things to assist rich people and pharaohs in the afterlife. But the reality is that almost all those tombs have been looted and stuff sold on the black market. Some of it ended up in museums, but that's what it all came to. The reality is that what's not been looted over the centuries will almost certainly eventually be found. It'll end up in a museum, but... The reality is it didn't do those rich people or those pharaohs any good at all. You know, you think about all that wealth, it wasn't even left to future generations. It's kind of like if you had a really great car, like a classic car, and everybody thought you had the greatest car in the world, and you were about to die, and they said, what do you want to do with that car? And you said, bury it with me. People would sure appreciate that. You see, those who are not centered on eternity will leave an inheritance of nothing. I wonder how many people today have accumulated more than they ever imagined. And they're going to leave an inheritance of nothing. Nothing that matters will be left behind. Can I ask a question? Who gets the central place in your life? Who is number one in your life? Who gets your A-game? Who gets your most ardent energy? I want to be very, very clear about something. I love Melissa, my wife, with all of my heart. 
I'm not a morning person. I've spent almost a decade getting up at six o'clock in the morning. I had no idea how people did it. And then I figured out the secret. You set your alarm and you drag your sorry carcass out of bed. And, and I figured out how to do it. I love her with all of my heart, but she is not number one in my life, Jesus is. Anything we put in that number one place in our life is in the wrong place if it's not Jesus. Is your family in that number one place? Family's wonderful. It's one of the great gifts that we have, but it's not number one. Is work in that number one place? Let me tell you something, and I hate it if you heard it here first. The second you're not making money for them, they will throw you out with the trash. Let me be real honest about something. Is your health number one? That can change at any minute. Is your career number one? It can go quick. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. You want to know what that means? If you put Jesus in the number one spot, everything else finds its proper place. If Jesus isn't number one, everything is going to be a mess. Is everything a mess in your life today? Is everything a mess in your family today? Is everything a mess in your relationships and in your career today? I want to suggest put Jesus in the number one spot and you will be surprised how quickly things will turn around. And then number six, we are to be centered in blessing. He says, I will bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord. We often think of service as a blessing to others and worship as a blessing to us. But we have to realize when we put Jesus first in our lives, we live as a blessing to God. God is blessed by us. God delights in us. We're in baseball season with my two oldest grandsons. My youngest grandson, the new one, is playing football. It is so much fun watching all these games. And I spend a lot of time watching these games of an evening. And one of the fun things to do is watch my grandkids. And the other fun thing to do is watch the other grandparents. You know, their kid's up and hits a double. I just kind of like watching those grandparents beam. They just beam. It is so much fun. There is just so much joy and so much blessing. And when my grandkids don't do all that well... Who cares? You know, there's not one person in Ducoin that remembers one single pass that I dropped in high school. Not one. Maybe three. Maybe three. But there's not many who remember that. My love for them is not based on performance. My love for them is based on who they are. God's love for you is not based on your performance. It's based on who you are. You are a son You are a daughter of the Most High God. You are the apple of God's eye. God loves you. God wants you to live your life centered in relationship and centered in that blessing. And now he gives us seven blessings. We're just going to tick these off. This is what comes to a life that's centered in Christ. Number one, he'll give us guidance. Verse seven says he guides me. You say, well, I don't feel like the Lord's guiding me. Are you asking God for guidance? Are you just doing what you want and hoping God somehow is in there as you fly by the seat of your pants? Ask God for guidance and he'll guide you. Number two, instruction. It says he instructs me at night. Verse seven. 
where do you get instruction from the Lord? From the Bible. Are you spending time in the Bible? Are you spending time in God's word? Don't complain that God isn't giving you instruction if you're spending no time in the instruction manual. Presence, number three, it says just God is with me. The secret of a bountiful Christian life isn't that we make time to pray, it's that we learn to live our entire lives close to God. And he walks with me. He talks with me and he tells me I am his own. That's where we want to live 24-7, 365. Number four, stability. He says, I will not be moved. You say, man, my life's not stable. Let me ask again. Is Jesus in the number one spot in your heart and in your life? If so, he will bring stability. Number five, joy. He says, he fills my heart with joy. It is overflowing. Are you living a joyful life? Do you got a little salsa? Do you got some pep in your step? Or are you always just walking around with the weight of the world on your shoulders? Put Jesus at number one. He'll give you joy. Number six, celebration. He fills my mouth with shouts of praise. I was at the New Ones football game. They did an exhibition thing at the football field in O'Fallon to tax grandparents to fund programs. So we were there and we watched and all the football players were playing. I'll be honest with you, I had trouble keeping up with them. They were a long way away and I'm old and, and you're just trying to figure out what's going on. But one thing was for sure, the guy behind me, he knew what number his kid was. And that guy, let's just say, if that guy yelled from here, he could be heard at the arch. And he was really close to me, really close to me. His mouth was filled with all kinds of things. <laughs> Our mouth is to be filled with praise. Our mouths are to be filled with praise. It's to be filled with celebration. And you want to know the kid that guy was rooting for? He really had a good day. And that guy was just celebrating. You know what? After a while, I just started celebrating with him. <laughs> just start celebrating with him. You know, there's something about joy that's contagious. You want to know why? Because we've had plenty of the other stuff and joy's better. And then number seven, safety. He, he keeps my body safe. So let's conclude this with three centering petitions. These are things the Bible specifically asks us to pray. And I'm going to suggest almost nobody prays these things. What we tend to do is pray about the same stuff over and over and over and over, and then we wonder why our prayer lives are boring. This is what the Bible tells us to pray. Three things. You want to write these down. Start praying these. Number one, show me the way of life. Have you ever said, Lord, show me the way? Show me the way. Show me the right path. Show me the way of life. Number two, grant me the joy of your presence. Have you ever prayed for joy? Number three, offer me the pleasures of living with you forever. Lord, just give me pleasure in my relationship with you. I'll bet you almost no one's prayed any of that stuff. I want to suggest you start praying that stuff and see what a difference it makes in your life. And when we are centered, we find safety, spiritual safety. Some of you, when you think about your life, you know exactly how that dog feels that I described earlier. Life's been hard. No matter how you slice it, life's been tough. And you know good and well you ought to be dead or worse 
by now. But I've got a proclamation to make. If I can quote the late, great Larry Norman, you ain't dead yet. And not only aren't you dead, you're here. You're not just alive surviving or hiding somewhere. You're actually in the house of the Lord. You have chosen to place yourself somewhere where God can do something incredible in your life today. That is amazing. You're alive and you're here. You're here. Jesus found you. Jesus rescued you. And just like it is for that dog, everything is different now. Everything. If safety is being able to sleep, there's no living organism on the planet that feels more safe than our going on 13-year-old rescue dog, Buff. Buffer had a rough life for her first nine years, but the past three and a half years of her life have been pretty good for her. Her love language seems to be feeling safe in our company, and in that safety, she finds rest, about 22 hours a day <laughs> of rest. In fact, sleeping makes her tired. Time to time, we'll be in the living room watching a ball game, which used to be more fun. But we'll be in the living room watching a ball game, and she'll just open her eyes while she's laying down. Won't even lift her head up. She just opens her eyes, and she stares at me. She just stares at me. And in that moment, I can just tell. She knows that she is well-fed. Heaven knows she's well-fed. She knows she's loved, she knows she's safe, and she knows that she's secure. She knows she can go back to sleep, <laughs> and she does. God is your safety. Center yourself in him. Receive Christ into your life. Put him in the number one spot in your soul. And know that when you do that, you live in soul safety, both on earth and in heaven. And when the evening comes, when the evening comes, when you're afraid, when the anxiety's all over you, when the fear threatens to swallow you whole, open your eyes and look into the eyes of Jesus and know that you are loved. You are well fed. You are secure and you are safe. And when you look into the eyes of Jesus, go back to sleep. Sleep like a baby or better yet, a rescue dog. Let's pray. Great and mighty God, thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for rescuing us. Some of us, Lord, have been really blessed in life and some of us just got a bad draw. But for all of us, you are God. And your promises apply to everyone. So dear God, I pray that as we put Jesus first in our lives, as we center our lives upon you, I pray that you would give us safety on earth and in heaven. Enable us to sleep in absolute certainty that you've got us on earth and in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.
We're going to open the altar up if you'd just like to pray. There'll be some folks on each side here that would love to pray with you. You're loved. You're loved. You don't have to be afraid. God's got your situation. And better yet, God's got you.